I just love to be out here. I mean, look at where we are. It's beautiful. No, it's, I haven't got the words to describe it. It's fantastic. Hello, I'm Liv Bolton and welcome back to Series 7 of The Outdoors Fix, a podcast to inspire you to make adventures outdoors a bigger part of your life. Thank you so much to all of you who listened to the first episode of this series with mountain biker Vicky Balfour. Vicky's powerful story moved and inspired so many of you and we had some fantastic messages about it. If you enjoyed the episode, it would be amazing if you could subscribe or write a review on Apple Podcasts about it and spread the word to your family and friends about The Outdoors Fix. Before we get to the second guest of this series though, I wanted to thank the outdoor footwear company Merrill for kindly supporting this podcast. Their backing makes The Outdoors Fix possible and they always allow me the freedom to find the people and stories I think are important to showcase. Their support of community groups and grassroots initiatives in the outdoors are one of the things I like about working with them. And I also love their Moab Speed hiking shoes, which are seriously comfortable. Merrill have kindly offered listeners of The Outdoors Fix a 20% off discount on their shoes at merrill.co.uk. So just use the code FIX20, which is valid on all full price items on their website. But back to my second guest. Have you ever wanted to take on an outdoors challenge or tick off an outdoors goal, but you've never got around to it or you've doubted yourself? My guest in this episode, Chris Gaskin, is someone who might just give you the confidence to go for it. Chris is a Special Forces veteran and endurance athlete from Yorkshire who set the record in 2021 for the fastest solo and unsupported continuous round of the Wainwrights in the Lake District. He managed to climb all 214 Wainwright fells and walk in between them in just 11 days, 10 hours and 58 minutes. It's the fastest known time for the 325 mile feet, during which he also had to carry all his own food and equipment. Chris tackled the endurance challenge for the military community and charity Walking with the Wounded, raising over £5,000. I loved chatting to Chris about his challenge when we went for a walk together on the Pennine Way in the Peak District back in the summer. But what I found equally fascinating was the mental resilience approach he uses to get through difficult moments in life and big physical challenges. It's a mnemonic called Mindset. It's something that I found incredibly useful and inspirational to hear about, and I think you might too. You might not be focused on setting a Wainwright record like Chris, but his techniques might just help you with whatever outdoors challenges or goals you'd like to pursue. So listen to the episode to find out what Mindset stands for and how Chris used it to help him complete his Wainwright record-setting round. Don't forget to listen out for Chris's endurance challenge tips at the end of the episode, as well as the minute of Sounds of Nature to bring a bit of escapism into your day. So let's get on with the episode, and here's Chris. Christopher, thank you so much for coming on the Outdoors Fix podcast. We're in the Peak District near Edale, just off the Pennine Way, but can you tell me a little bit more about where we're sat right now? No, you're absolutely right. It's an absolutely beautiful day. We just sat under a tree next to a stream, just taking a step off of the Pennine Way, a route that I've become quite familiar with over the last couple of weeks, couple of months at least. It's about to be the hottest day in the UK, so it's nice to get under this tree and get some shade. Yeah, we're right by a little stream. 
in a dip with lots of oak trees I can see around us, bracken, there's some ash, really stunning. Oh, yeah. and, and like you say, you do know this place very well and it's why we kind of came here and I want to talk about this so much more later in the episode. It's all to do with one of your new endurance challenges, but we'll come back to that. But firstly, just to introduce you to the listeners, you are an endurance athlete, a special forces veteran, and you also, in May 2021, broke the record for the fastest solo and unsupported round of the 214 Wainwrights in the Lake District. And for people who don't know what the Wainwrights are, they are the 214 mountains in the books of Alfred Wainwright, his pictorial guides to the Lakeland Fells. So can you tell me how long you did it in and then also what unsupported means? Yeah, no, absolutely. It took me il- something like 11 days 10 hours and 58 minutes you might even want to correct me on that i can't quite remember that's exactly. what i read yeah okay good so I was, I was spot on so in essence unsupported means that when i get to the start point i have to carry everything that i'm going to require to get me back to that point which then becomes the end point there is one exception i am allowed to take water from natural streams um, because of course carrying water for what I thought was going to be 14 days would be very, very difficult. Mm. Make something that was already difficult, very difficult. So in essence, I had a pack. In that pack, I had 14 days worth of food. I had safety equipment, trackers, battery packs, head torches, a tent and sleeping equipment. So I had everything that would keep me going for 14 days. And that was my initial target, to try to achieve 14 days, which was going to be difficult. That meant possibly covering 50 kilometers, 40 to 50 kilometers per day across some very difficult terrain. I think when you do the 214 Wainwright Fells, it's the equivalent of climbing Mount Everest four times. So there's quite a lot of ascent and descent, Mm. as well as the 550 kilometers that it takes to get round, depending on the route that you actually choose to do. But I did a variation of Steve Birkinshaw's route as used by Paul Tierney, some somebody that was coaching me through it as well. So yeah, it was a a very difficult challenge, a challenge that, yeah, definitely put me through my paces and saw me lose 10 kilograms um, for the sheer fact that if you've got to carry 14 days worth of food, you've got to make sure that the food that you carry is absolutely going to fulfill the needs, but you do know that you're going to be in calorie deficit. And I was carrying around about two and a half thousand calories per day and I was using anywhere between six to eight thousand calories a day so i was in deficit of anywhere between five and six thousand calories wow. a day well it's an incredible record you've set and i want to talk about the challenge in detail in a little bit okay but i want to go back a bit find out how this all came about and how you got into these endurance challenges so you grew up in yorkshire yeah. were you outdoorsy as a kid um i never wanted to be indoors i saw indoors as restrictive i saw windows as a a porthole to getting outside i was one of those i wasn't necessarily academic um in the sense that schoolwork was monotonous it was boring it it wasn't instantaneous so i wanted to be outside running around playing football i had a number of small jobs i had a milk round i used to get up at three o'clock and run around when everybody else was still asleep (laughs) i even turned that into a challenge you could get and deliver the milk the quickest so i always found a challenge outside um, when I was a child, I kind of liked it out there. I liked the freedom and the space that you get. Yeah, and then you joined the military at 16. That's right, yeah. The army. Yeah. Um, so why did you want to do that? Um, it, 
it wasn't really a conscious choice. I, I went to college, um, I was studying, I, I probably wanted to be a fireman or a teacher or something like that, but again, it wasn't quick enough. Uh, I walked past the careers office, I saw some glamorous photos, some people jumping out of aeroplanes, and I thought, okay, this looks quite interesting. I went in and then three weeks later, I was in the military. Three weeks? Yeah, I did, a, that? I did wow. a test. Well, that was back then. I'm sure it's yeah. much more uh, considered now. I went through all the the tests that you have to do, the um, mental ones, physical ones, and then yeah, what? I'm sure it was around about three weeks, and I was I was in. Wow! And then a few years later, you got into the special forces, and that is notoriously hard to get into. And throughout your endurance challenges, which we'll talk about more, um, you talk about a mental resilience, a mental mindset. So, was the special forces where you sort of developed that mental resilience? Do you think? I think that. I think that we were always developing a mental resilience from childhood all the way through. So to say it was specifically that would be, I would be misleading. I think that we're all growing that. We all have a mental resilience, uh, whether we know it or not. Definitely in the military, I learned a lot about myself, about discipline, looking around at other individuals. Or I thought, just by looking at them, I thought they were going to be better than me for reasons I can't quite explain and actually turning out, if I put myself in front of them, I could outperform certain people, which I didn't believe I was capable of. And it gave me a self-belief, an inner self-belief, that allowed me to say, okay, well, maybe I'm just capable of a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. And actually, going to the Special Forces, that, wasn't, that was more by accident than design. Somebody said to me, they'd been on the course, and, and they found it really, really difficult, and that it's not something I would have been able to achieve. So, of course, that lit a fire underneath me, and, yeah. and six months later, I was on the course myself. And if I'm honest, it's not something I thought that I could have achieved. I most definitely didn't think that. I didn't think I was capable of it. I, I didn't think I was fit enough. I didn't think I was qualified enough. I definitely wasn't a soldier, an infantry soldier. I'd been in the Royal Engineers, so I wasn't a, a typical infantry soldier. So I was probably lacking quite a lot of the skills that I thought was required. But what I learned is I don't know what's required. All I need to go is I need to turn up. I need to give it 100% every single day. I need to not worry about six months time or seven months time. I just need to worry about doing what's in front of me today. And it turns out if you do apply yourself every single day and you do relieve the pressure by not looking so far into the future, just looking at the immediate future, you can achieve so much more than you think is possible. Amazing. So you were in the military for a number of years. You did tours in the Middle East. Yep. But you left in 20, around 2012, was it? Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in line with the um, uh, Olympics in, in London. Yes, yeah, 2012. So what has been your job since? What have, what have you been working on? Uh, and, and sort of how has the outdoors fitted into your life since leaving the military? I've done a, a myriad of different things. Working in the Middle East again, that's an area where I've spent quite a lot of my time. But, but the outdoors gives me something that... the that's now missing because of the military. In the military, I was doing high tempo activities. And of course, when you step into either a, an office job or something like that, then you lack some of, some of the excitement of something to look forward to or something to get your blood pumping and get you, uh, get you motivated. And of course, the outdoor life does that, whether it's, whether it's running, whether it's swimming, whether it's hiking, whether it's paragliding, whatever it is, getting outside, I find provides me a welcome relief from sometimes the monotony of normal day-to-day -day life. Mm. 
So how did this Project 214, the Wainwright Challenge, you called it Project 214, how did that come about and, and why did you want to do it? Because you hadn't really done massive amounts of endurance challenges before and this was, uh, you know, setting a record for a Wainwright round. Yeah, I suppose I'd always done endurance challenges, I just didn't call them that. Maybe on a weekly basis I'd probably run 120 kilometres. Oh, wow. I'd probably be doing those things on my own just to find my own space. Um, I'd probably go up into the fells and take two or three days and go and do 150 kilometres. So I've always done those. I didn't, I didn't know about these rounds. I had no idea. I just went and did my own thing. I like my own space. I like being out just just observing this this landscape that we live in and just it sounds silly listen to the bird song the water in the background it's therapeutic I, I kind of like that but then somebody said to me he said you know there's things you can do to raise money for charities and that's always been important to me I, I did my challenge for um, walking with the wounded a military charity of course that's close to me anyway so I thought okay well maybe let's try that but actually if I went back a little bit I was training for Marathon de Sables. That's oh. my original, my original goal was to go and do the Marathon de Sables. And that's a, um, just to explain to listeners, that's a six day, 150 mile ultra marathon in, in the Sahara Desert. That's right. So anyway, COVID of course, disrupted plans for many people. And of course it disrupted plans for the Marathon de Sables. That was delayed. So I thought I needed to keep doing something that's gonna be somewhat similar in terms of carrying the weight. Cause of course you have to carry the weight on Marathon de Sables and covering a reasonable distance. And I looked around and I'd started being coached by Paul Tierney uh, for the Marathon de Sables. And Paul Tierney had the record at the time for the fastest um, supported round of the Wainwrights. So I kind of looked at that. And in the past, I'd read Steve Birkinshaw's book. So it was, there was little pieces there, although I'd not put them all together. And then anyway, I thought I might go and give um, a self-supported um, a round ago after I thought about it but then I realized that James Forrest had been and done that maybe the year before maybe six months before so I looked around and nobody had ever done it solo and unsupported and I read about it and everybody was saying um, it's probably not possible to carry 14 days worth of food around the Wainwrights so of course then again I thought I might as well give that one a go and so what so what if I failed in, in my attempt to do it that that really wasn't the point it, it aided in my training it pushed me harder than I was probably getting pushed already so of course there was I could only see upsides yeah so how did you train for it then I mean it sounds like you're already obviously running a lot a lot of kilometers carrying the weight but was there any specific training you had to do before it well I would say I was reasonably fit because of the marathon de Sables. I had to tailor the I didn't have to Paul helped me with this uh, we had to tailor the training a little bit to get much more ascent because I'd not really done too much climbing although I had been in the lakes doing some some work already so I just really had to include a little bit more distance less rest so more fatigue uh, and, and, and much more climbing that's really it so we didn't have to change too much mm. So you started off in the centre of Keswick and yeah. finished in the centre of Keswick and it's a kind of sort of or you could say clockwise way around the Lake District, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, obviously then going off and doing all the fells um, in their little, you know, groups and sections. How long were you hiking each day? 
And how many fells and Wainwright peaks were you tackling each day, do you think, roughly? So because I'd set the challenge of trying to do it in 14 days, I'd worked out that I needed to cover 40 kilometres per day. I wasn't really bothered then about what incline or decline I had to cover or how many fells that was supposed to be. I knew that weather was going to be a factor uh, that was either going to allow me to make more progress or it was going to slow me down. It did indeed do both of those. Um, so really it was distance I was working to, it wasn't really anything else. I think days one and two, I had two very good days. I was 50Ks plus on both days. Mm. I was feeling pretty strong, considering I was carrying 20 kilograms, which is a significant amount of weight mm. when you're climbing some of the terrain. And just to remind you, it was the route was created by Steve Birkinshaw, he's a fell runner. So running up a fell is very different to trying to run up it with 20 kilograms. So I did follow that route around about 80 to 85 percent of the time so really it was distance and it was how good I felt at the end of the day mm. there was some days there was two particularly bad days um, where it was very difficult to move actually the wind the rain there was some particularly bad weather up there and I maybe only covered 35 to 40k per day but I was pushing 50 52 54 some of the other days so I was well well able to make up for it yeah so you were kind of realizing that maybe you could set a time much under the 14 days I think in my mind I I knew that that was possible without sounding horrible I knew that was possible because anyone else that had tried to do it or James that had set it before he'd slept and of course any of these challenges times lost and gained either sleeping or not sleeping so I knew that if if I was struggling, I'd just have to sleep less. My plan was to, like I said, move 40 to 50K and sleep as much as I could. Of course, I didn't, I thought that that would be achievable enough um, to be able to do it that way. But yeah, so then it wasn't till around about day, day eight, day nine, something like that, that I realized, actually, I've, I feel like I've still got lots of energy. I've still got a lot of energy in the tank. I could probably eat more of my food and get around a little bit quicker and maybe cut down on some of my sleep and I thought okay this is achievable I didn't really put that into full practice until day 10 which turned out to be the, the long day which was day 10 and day 11 with no sleep but yeah I thought I, I thought I could do that under 14. Mental resilience then yeah we're talking about you're on very little sleep and like you say the last you know two days you it was I, well I read you correct me if I'm wrong I read that you done you did about 40 hours without any sleep yeah so you have talked about in the past this mental resilience that gets you through and you've got a way of talking about it and it's called mindset mm -hmm. so can you just explain a little bit about what you mean by that and how it helps you okay so for me it's it's a mnemonic the military uses mnemonics all of the time so it works very well for me and I use mindset just as a mnemonic not really to talk about mindset but ultimately yes of course it's referring to mindset anyway so the M for me means motivation if I'm doing a challenge or anyone's doing a challenge what's motivating you to do it because when you get tired when you get hungry when you have a niggle or an injury in training you always need to draw back to that motivation if it's a a charity that you're doing it for try to get to meet some of the people that are impacted by it because you'll need that that will be the fuel that will get you around most definitely so motivation so that's the M of mindset then I inspiration like I said is there somebody that's going to directly benefit from that 
can they inspire you? Has somebody done something before you that you can also take inspiration from? So therefore is the inspiration. Then I've got the N. The N really is, it's a little one, is never be afraid to fail. Because many times, I've done so many things and failed, we all have, every single one of us have. It doesn't achieve anything worrying about it. Go and try it, go and give it your best. As I said before, every day turn up, give 100% and the rest will take care of itself. So never be afraid to fail, but don't quit. Quitting, like I said about outside there when it's really, really hot, that's an excuse, that's a reason to, to give up. It's not, it's a reason that you're making for yourself rather than a justifiable reason to stop. If you've broke your leg, then yes, of course, that's a reason to stop. But because it's warm outside, you can finger, find a ways around that. Um, D, discipline. Then I, that's really the, the discipline part is, what have you done? Have you, have you been serious about your training? When your alarm's gone off at five, six o'clock in the morning, have you got up or have you snoozed it three or four or five times? Have you created those habits that are gonna lead you to success? When you've been on a run before and you've given up because it's got difficult, well, that's gonna creep in that behavior, the way that you view that, it's okay to stop or it's okay to quit. When you get tired, hungry, upset sometimes, you'll most definitely get upset as well, is those things are gonna creep in. It's okay to fail in training. There's absolutely no reason to, f you're pushing yourself in training. It's a development process. So it's okay to fail, of course it is, but I don't feel up for it today. I'm just gonna quit. Then that's different. That creeps into your behaviors and your patterns when you're out there. So that's the, the up to the mind. Then set, self. Self's a really important one for me because not many people look at self-awareness, um, looking after yourself. I think they're very important things. It's important to rest and to recover and to look after yourself. And if you have got an injury, to, to look after that as well. And also be aware of your, limit, your own limitations. If you've never run a 100K before, or you've never run a K before, it's gonna be very difficult to run a 100K. So be aware that you've got to build up to that. So self, look after yourself and, and make sure you're aware of that. E, environment. That's an important one for me as well is, who do you spend most of your time with? Well, firstly, you spend most of your time with yourself. So the way that you talk to yourself, the way that you are with yourself, you've got to be quite positive towards that. But who else is around you? Are they inspiring you to be better? Or are they dragging you down? Are they creating an environment that's positive, that's conducive to success in the first place? Also, what are you listening to? When people run, if you're listening to motivational speeches, motivational podcasts, those kind of things, they kind of fill you with a little bit of hope. I remember once... That's the first time I said this. I remember once I was, um, I couldn't sleep and I was out running. It was dark. It was maybe two, three o'clock in the morning. And I was listening to some motivational podcasts. I forget what it was. I was, I was crying. I, I don't know. I have no idea why. It was just, it was motivating me. I wanted to be able to do more. I was taking motivation from what they were saying. And that's motivation that I can use elsewhere. That I think, okay, what information's fed to me either through the TV or through the podcasts that I listen to or through the speeches that I listen to or the people that I surround, it's super important. Now I, I tend to stay away from getting up on the morning and turning the news off because that's, that's not what I want to be feeding myself as soon as I get up. So I listen to some motivational podcasts or podcasts that make me laugh or put me in a different, different space. So that's what I mean by environment. And then targets. I alluded to targets before is targets are very, very good. But if you set targets that are unachievable, then in fact, they set you back rather than 
make you stand up and test yourself. So make sure there's a, a businessman one that talks about smart targets, but make sure targets are something that are helping you, not something that are hindering you. And many times on us climbing some of the fells, the peak was so far off. And really, if I was just to think about that or to think about the end of the leg or the end of the day, I probably wouldn't have made it that far. So it was just making sure that I can grind out to the next tree or the next boulder or something like that, something that just allowed me. So make sure your targets are manageable. And that's, that's how mindset works for me. It's a bit of a checklist. It's a bit of an understanding. And when I'm feeling low or I'm feeling down on a, on a run or on a fell or on a big uh, endurance challenge like that, I'll just draw back to that and I'll work through it. Usually it sets me right. And if there's any weaknesses in there, like my motivation isn't strong enough, then I know I'm destined to fail anyway. That is a fascinating insight into how you got through that and what, what drives you. And I think a lot of people get a lot out of that. So thank you for sharing no, that. No, thank you very much. Okay, so it was obviously very painful at times and a very lot of lack of sleep. But are there any favourite moments from that challenge that you can kind of picture now where you really thought, oh, this is, this is pretty cool? Oh, there was many, many moments. There's many fells that I'm going to go back and visit. In fact, I will do the, all of the fells again, probably in a different way. I don't know what that'll look like yet, mm -hmm. because there's so many fantastic places. I saw so many fantastic people as well when I was out there. Just everybody that's outdoors has got something in common. They're, they're outdoors. They're, they want to be outside. They're probably chasing the same things you are, maybe slightly differently, but they're out there. So some of the favorite things was just some of the views. I liked the isolation. I remember I was just, I'd finished maybe day six, day seven. I just stopped and there was a cairn set in front of me. There's an absolutely beautiful sun, sunset just in the distance, just coming down. And I just, I'd been on my own. I'd probably not spoken a word 48 hours. I'd been on my own. If I had, I'd been talking to the sheep anyway. And they weren't talking back. But I just saw this sunset and it was, beautiful just just in the middle of nowhere just getting ready after after what was a very difficult couple of days just laying there ready to go to sleep just watching and I think for me that's it's just I know that the sun sets every single day but sometimes it's spectacular I was just sat there watching it I've got a picture of it now and it's definitely something that I'll put on my wall oh amazing when you finished when you got back to Keswick and you knew you'd made an incredible time and you finally finished after all that time. How did you feel? Okay, so when I was, when I was coming in, when you get down off Cat Bells and then you're heading in towards Moot Hall Keswick, it's about 5K, it's a long 5K as well. <laughs> so you, you're getting back in. Actually, I made a couple of videos to myself just reflecting, hot debriefs, just reflecting on my kit, the route, whatever. And I was coming in and a couple of people were riding past me on bikes. And somebody said, oh, are you Chris? And I was like, what? And he said, oh, we're, we're going to the Keswick Moot Hall to see you come in. And I had real no, no idea what he was talking about. I didn't know what if it was a wind-up or if I was hallucinating or not. <laughs> anyway, when I got there, there's quite a few people there. Coincidentally, there's lots of things that go on at Moot Hall. There's Bob Graham round finishes. There's a, a market. But it, what felt like to me, maybe 100, 150 people wow. there. So that inspired me on the last little bit to run up to the top although running felt quite difficult at that point running to the top and getting to the top of the stairs and then seeing everybody there although they weren't there for me they were clapping which which kind of felt yeah. me with a little bit a little bit of energy and I remember 
some guy running over with uh, what felt like a, the biggest pint of lager I've ever seen in my life. And that is the last thing I wanted. That is the last thing I wanted. If I would have drunk that, I wouldn't be here now, I don't yeah. think. Wow. So it must have taken quite a long time to recover after that. I would say that was the most difficult part for me. It, it really was. The training was an ongoing process. Going through the fells, I, I knew what was going to come, but most definitely because I'd lost so much muscle mass, so much body weight, 10 kilograms. I remember before I was going, I was doing, I could do 75 to 100 press-ups, no issue, no issue whatsoever. And maybe two days after I'd finished, I couldn't do three. Wow. I couldn't, I couldn't do, I had no, no energy, no strength, no nothing. If I look at a picture of me now, of when I'd finished, it just, it's unrecognizable. The person that saw the finish is most definitely not the person that you see today in terms of uh, physically anyway so the recovery was very difficult the recovery was very difficult introducing specific foods trying to get strong again to get and I finished that in uh, the, the end of May and then I was scheduled to go out to the Marathon de Sables then in the, the October so that was my my chance to get myself ready for that but yeah the recovery was very difficult in fact if I'd learned anything really from that experience it's mostly about the recovery aspect of how to do it much better than I did it last time. Interesting. Just before we talk about your next challenge that you're going to do it, um, like you mentioned, you raised money for Walking with the Wounded, um, the military veteran charity for the Wainwright Challenge. And so why is that particularly important for you to support that charity? Well, well like I said before, I was, I was in the military. Uh, one of my skills was a paramedic as well. That was one of my skills. I was... Um, trained to deal with trauma, deal with first aid injuries. So I, I came across a few, I came across quite a few of them actually, and I, I saw them. And I suppose naively when I was 19, 20, 21 years old, I'd look at an individual that had lost maybe both lower limbs and I'd think, what kind of life would that be afterwards? That's got to be very difficult. You can't walk your daughter down the aisle, you can't play football with your child, etc. A very, very naive approach. But I saw, and I've experienced and met many people that that have done much more than that done some absolutely phenomenal things uh, having lost both both legs maybe an arm they've done some inc awe inspiring things so I thought I wanted to be able to see what I could do to help some of those people achieve some of those goals so I wanted to try and raise some money for a charity that's a fantastic one that has helped uh, individuals like that get out to the Marathon de Sables, get to the North and South Pole, do some of these fantastic things. And really, I'm just going out and running around, doing things that I love. These guys are out there supporting them, actually by meeting them, offering mental health services or other services, getting, them in, getting some of these individuals that are not so well equipped to go into civilian jobs. They're out there doing these types of things. So if I can raise some money whilst I'm doing some of the things that I love to do, to help some of these people that aren't as lucky as that, then well, it's, it's my obligation to do that. There's a good sense of community in the military even after you leave, is that right? Yeah, because most of you come from a similar background, so you know it's, it, life can be difficult. You've been through similar things, whether you're in different regiments or not. Um, and you've naturally, people that do that have got a sense of duty towards other people anyway, by default. They want to help other people. I think that I think that's a fantastic trait to have for people to have. And there's lots of people like that. Um, so 
yes, you, you always want to help people. Does it necessarily mean you just want to help people in the military, you want to help others? But yeah, I think it's charities like that do a, a lot of good work. So your next endurance challenge then is to do the Pennine Way solo and unsupported. And for people who don't know about the Pennine Way, that's a 268 mile route from, well, it could be either from Edel in the Peak District to Kirkgesham near the borders or the other way around. That's right. Um, so you're going to try and set a new record for that. So tell me about why you want to do that. And you have already made a couple of attempts. Um, already but you're striving for finishing it yeah. sometime soon it's, it's another fantastic national trail whether it's the Wainwrights or whether it's the coast to coast or whether it's the, the Pennine Way and there are many other trails that I would like to go and do and other challenges that I'd like to go and do and will go and do um, it's just one that appealed to me I suppose last year it got lots of attention um, with some individuals Damien Hall and John out there doing the Pennine Way and setting the record uh, and then it'd been taken again and of course them going back out there and beating so it got lots of attention I suppose I didn't know too much about the Pennine Way before that I know a little of course I've spent a lot of time around this area um, but it just seemed again something that was quite difficult you setting off again in isolation 268 miles or 440 kilometers no support down the Cheviots and all the way down the backbone of, of the north of the UK. I thought it was definitely going to be an interesting challenge. Like you said before, I have attempted it. I got 24 hours in before, something like 120, 125 kilometres, which is good, well above uh, the, the record pace, what I'm looking to beat. Um, but I got an injury and again, I, I went a couple of weeks afterwards I didn't let my injury recover quickly enough, I know that, and I know I shouldn't have really gone, but I was time pressured, I wanted to get something done, um, but I, I know what the course, or at least a lot of the course now has in store for me, um, and I think that the, the record is achievable on a very, very good day, everything has to come in line and, uh, and work for you, but yeah, it's something that I'm definitely looking forward to doing again. Roughly, what is the uh, the record that you would like to try and get? Well, the record is four and a half days, if memory serves me well. Um, four days, eight hours, actually, I think it probably is. I'd like to break four days, but that would be, that is very difficult to do that. There's, there's no doubt about that. That means making some sacrifices about kit that I carry, about food that I carry, about other bits and pieces. But, yeah, I'd like to say that I think I've got that within me, but anything below, below the current record is an, an amazing achievement anyway, because it's, it's an unforgiving route and the terrain is unforgiving also. Just anyone that's done the Pennine Way, the bogs, knee-high bogs, you cannot make quick progress through some of that, some of that terrain. It's disgustingly beautiful. <laughs> well, that is a huge challenge and um, well, good luck for it when it comes to it. I hope it, I hope it goes well. Um, just rounding up this, this section of the, the podcast, if you could say what the outdoors means to you, how would you describe that? Wow. Well, it, I suppose it's escapism from the monotony of office life and, and everything else, whatever that means to some people. But for me, it's, it, it's freedom, it's space, it's opportunity. Where If you see a hill, you think, okay, 
Let's get to that. There's nothing stopping me from getting to the top of that and seeing what the world looks like from up here. I just, I just love to be out here. I mean, look at where we are. It's beautiful. No, it's, I haven't got the words to describe it. It's fantastic. So Chris, who are the three people who have inspired your outdoors adventures? How about the first one? When I was 15, 14, 15 years old, I was given an opportunity to go on an Outward Bounds uh, week, which pretty much meant that I went into the outdoors helping people with physical disabilities. Maybe I'd roll a wheelchair up onto a slide and that would um, go across a bit of a canyon. So I was introduced by a, a, to a, the outdoors then by a chap called Gary. He, he was probably one of the people that got me involved in the outdoors and probably the military as well actually he kind of without knowing that inspired me to do get into the outdoors and that's probably a catalyst so Gary would be one a guy called Richie would be another when I was training for a special forces selection just after coming back from an operational tour even before we'd thought about going seeing our families we'd already planned a two-week coast-to-coast a walking holiday for the two of us so of course Richie has to feature there somewhere along the time there's far too much drinking on that coast to coast <laughs> than walking but yeah that was most definitely one of them was that the coast to coast the Alfred Wainwright coast that's the one yeah. Yeah, yeah so that's some bees to Robin Hood, Hood's Bay that's um, exactly right yeah. yeah we didn't we didn't make it we just it was some decompression time for us after mm. being away on an operational tour and it was just good for us to get out walk around be back in the UK with no real pressures and uh, just enjoy walking around so that that was that was good yeah. and then I suppose it would be difficult I suppose it would be more maybe somebody I'd seen on TV that would introduce me to the outside world somebody like Ray Mears for example who got around and did bushcraft and introduced us to the outside world a little bit like that for example they're probably the three three people So Chris, what would be your tips for people for training for an endurance challenge? Firstly, I would say, make sure you work with somebody, a coach that is qualified to provide advice on uh, an endurance challenge, preferably somebody who's done an event similar to the one that you've done. So they, they've got the lived experience as well, rather than just the background of academic knowledge. So that's most definitely helpful. Um, also, don't be afraid to deviate from that schedule a little bit because sometimes I wake up and I, I don't necessarily want to do exactly what's scheduled for me that day. But of course, over the course of the week, I will do that. It's important to engage with a coach so they understand the way that you feel. Um, so I think they're two Im important factors. Um, but likewise, make sure you plan plenty of rest in there. It's important. Everybody sometimes, everybody wants to do as I'll see progression as quick as possible, but really it's slow and steady process uh, of getting yourself ready for an endurance event and trying, trying to enter the, or get to the start line without having an injury is one of the most important factors. You can go as hard as you want on training and then turn up on a, with an injury and of course that could set you back. It doesn't matter what level of fitness you are, whether you think you're incapable of something because you 
see everybody else running around. They were once where you are now. All, what's the most important thing is to take the first step, whether that's putting your trainers on and getting out the door to walk the dog or putting your trainers on to go for a walk. I think it's small steps will get you to where you want to go. And I talked about it before with targets. If you, if you sit on the couch and you've never run before, then yes, of course running a marathon is going to seem unachievable. But if you get out and you walk and you slowly break that into a jog and a walk, and then that becomes a jog, then that becomes a 5k run. And of course you're always making progress towards that goal. And then every step that you take, you're closer to it and it's less further away. So I've been lucky enough to achieve some fantastic things in my life so far. But if I stood and looked at a 10 year old me and looked at what I've been able to achieve so far, of course that just seemed a million miles away and impossible, of course. But of course, everything that I've done is, without knowing, progressively got me closer to those things. So I think, yeah, think where you want to get to, absolutely, of course, but break it down into small little chunks and you'll get there. It's, if I can get there, then, and many other people have got there, then anyone can get there. Thank you so much, Chris. I mean, this has just been absolutely brilliant. I mean, we've been in a beautiful spot and then to hear about all about your motivations for doing it, how you got through the challenge and, and what's potentially next. Uh, it's been fascinating. So thank you so much. No, oh, thank you very much. And thank you. This is a fantastic little spot, isn't it? Isn't it? And, and we're going to head back to Edale now, but we get to walk along the Pennine Way and it's uh, you know lovely light at this time of the afternoon as well. Beautiful sunshine and like, kind of coming towards a bit of a golden hour. Yeah, no, well, thank you for having me on. It's been nice to relive some of those memories that I've, that I've stowed away. But thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Chris's episode. You can see photos of Chris and a video from our walk on the Outdoors Fix website or on Instagram at The Outdoors Fix. You'll also find Chris on Instagram at mr.g.runningfree. If you want to make the outdoors a bigger part of your life, did you know that The Outdoors Fix is now also available as a book? It's packed full of my podcast guest stories, tips and beautiful photographs to show how you can get outdoors more and feel the benefits. The Outdoors Fix book is available to buy through the link in the podcast show notes, as well as the Vertebrate Publishing website, Amazon and other bookshops. Regular listeners of The Outdoors Fix will know that I end each episode with some sounds of nature. So now is that time to take a short moment to relax and listen to the sounds of a stream near the small hamlet of Watendleth near Derwentwater in the Lake District. I hope you enjoy it. <laughs>